Hey, Jason here to kind of end this on float series, the throwback series. I'm gonna create. I'm creating a new video right now, where I'm gonna do a uh, a float training session with you right here in this video. I'm gonna show you step by step the process I take, why I make the decisions I make on um, what I include where on the float analysis, how it affects valuation, how it affects a company's valuation, or how it can affect the company's valuation, and so on. So we're going to use this company up here. I've owned this company for years and still own them. I think this is the longest owning company I've owned. I think I've owned it for six years now about. So I'm very familiar with this company, which is the main reason I'm using it. Also, I'm using this company to illustrate that um, you don't have to find just investment float at, at insurance companies. This obviously um or not obviously, maybe you don't aren't familiar with this company, but they're not an insurance company. They're a manufacturer, so you can find float anywhere. Okay, so let's get the numbers. Now let's go back up. Let's just round up to the millions. So, got my float analysis sheet here. Uh, new page, open. So, I'm just going to go step by step again, show you where everything goes cash oops oops all sorts of different projects I'm working on sorry about that 27 plus case that is pretty much all I would put in the financial assets and I'll kind of go through these step by step why I don't include goodwill and intangible assets when we get to those but for now let's go through this again I usually go through this line by line and put things where they need to go so <clears throat> AR of equals Inventories of thirteen for income taxes zero, prepaid expenses one. Deferred income taxes would go up here, but that's again why I didn't include that there. Because there are no deferred tax assets right now. Uh, other current assets three. Plus net PP&E of 69, 69, goodwill of 2, tangible assets of 1, and other long-term assets of 2 equals before I start talking about everything, let's make sure everything equals up properly. So, 20 plus 13 plus 1 plus 3 plus 69 plus 2 plus 1 plus 2 equals 111. 
Okay. 111 plus 27 plus 27 equals 138. So we're doing good here. When I first started calculating this number, and this is why I still input this here, um, I used to come up with different numbers all the time, mainly because I round a lot. Like it, Normally I would do the thousands and I would round here because this is a smaller company. But just for learning purposes, I'm going through this slowly or faster. So I'm rounding everything up. So what I would do here typically, again, would be 13.5, 19.9. So everything wouldn't necessarily add up exactly. Um, if you're rounding up, that is something to watch out for. But generally, these numbers, since this is a balance sheet we're focusing on here, they should balance. So they should equal what they equal on here, assets and liabilities, all that. So why I get this question every time I go over this with somebody, why do I include goodwill and intangible assets in the operating assets section instead of the financial assets section? Mainly because if you're using goodwill and intangible assets properly, those should be affecting operations positively in some way. Now, if you've watched any of my other teachings, you know I think goodwill for the most part is crap. You, but you, because this is balance sheet, you just can't discount that on here. Um, on the valuations, yes. But on this kind of analysis, I leave it in there because, again, it wouldn't balance. So um, that's the main reason I leave it in there. And tangible assets. Again, these are typically things like trademarks, uh, patents, brand names, uh, customer lists, non-compete agreements, stuff like that. Again, if you're using those properly, they should be affecting your operational assets in some way. That's why I include those two things in, in operating assets instead of financial assets. Okay. So let's go to liabilities. Equity. That's this number right here. This um, kind of net number right here where you put the equity. 102. Debt of short-term debt okay I combine those together so three so seven million total anything here is anything you pay interest on so typically that short-term and long-term debt also can be capital leases can go in this section as well which I don't see on here. Again, what I normally would do is I normally would go to the 10K, um, the most recent 10K, and get this information or the most recent quarterly and get their balance sheet information. But again, just for teaching purposes here, I'm trying to speed things up for you. I don't think see any other debt accruing liabilities other than the long-term and short-term debt. So next, accounts payable, 14. Oops. <laughs> Taxes payable. Of one, I think. One plus crude liabilities
OCL of five plus defer. Again, we remember we put this in the debt section, so you don't include that here. Deferred tax liabilities is zero. Zero plus pensions and other benefits. So, pension and other benefits. That's a tip one you don't typically see, but that goes here as well because it doesn't accrue interest. At least in the normal sense in terms of debt. So again, let's make sure these add up. So 14 plus 1 plus 1 plus 5 plus 8 equals 29 plus 7 equals so 36. They should have 36 million in total liabilities. Yep, so we're on point here. So from here, it's pretty simple. Float, it's that exactly what you say. Float divided by operating assets so 29 29 divided by 111 what we're doing here is we're trying to figure out how much float supports the company's operating assets typically the higher this number is the better 26.1 26.1 so what this means oh, wrong company So this means more than a quarter of this company's operation, operational assets operates on float or other people's money, as we've talked about through this entire series. So let's kind of illustrate what that does. So pre-tax profits here. I don't use pre-tax profits in anything. Um, so in this case, what I do is, where is it? I actually forgot to open that tab because I use it so little. This is the only calculation I lose pre -tax, use pre-tax profits for. And what I do here, just to keep things consistent, is I use the EBT number, earnings before taxes, because frankly, I want to keep everything the same, and every company calculates things differently, but at least on Morningstar, at least on here, I will know that this number is the same. So, what I do to find this is 4.79% times the revenue. So that is 7.8 rounded up. Oops. 7.8 divided by total assets, 138. Again, the higher this number, the better. Five point seven percent, five point seven percent. And I do this, I list this number here just as a comparison because, again, I don't know how Morningstar finds their numbers. I just use this number to remain consistent in my own area. So what do they list their ROA as? And typically these numbers are different. 4.4%. So there's already a difference. So what we're doing here is we're trying to find the levered ROA. How much float levers the ROA because we're subtracting out float here. So we're trying to figure out the real, like real-world economic ROA that this company has. Is what we're doing here. 
7.8. Total assets minus float. 38 minus, where's the float number? 29, so 109. So 7.8 divided by 109 equals 7.2%. Again, I do this entire analysis not only to see kind of the real world economics of the company, um, because I, I as a whole looking at it as a whole business owner, I don't care what the numbers actually say. I want to know economically what they mean. Economically, this is what they are earning on their assets right now. Their real world return on assets because they're using what is it, 26.1 percent? Yep, 26.1 percent of uh, of their operating assets are operated by other people's money or float. So this is what their real world ROA is. So. To further illustrate this point, this is something I like to do. So, there is a, what is it, 2, 3.2% difference. 0.2 percent points difference between the levered ROA and what Morningstar shows as their basic ROA. So, again, this is what I do every time I do an analysis. So, 3.2. I get my calculator, my CAGR cal calculator. What's the number I use in there? One million or ten million? One million. One. Zero. Let's. What's the number of years I have in there? Ten. So in here, I put the original number. So 1.480 million. Oops. That's the wrong number. 480 million. Okay, so this is 7.2, 7.2, okay, same numbers except that number has changed. Look at the giant difference, it's more than a $500,000 difference in 3.2 percentage points every year. So was it 2, 2 million, 2.04 million, okay, so that is this is the power of not only float over time if you're using it well but also of fees um, on things like index funds mutual funds um, retirement plans from your CFP um, what else um, interest rates at the bank uh, any kind of small advantage you can gain again 3.2 percentage points doesn't sound like that huge of a difference and in one year it is not but over a long time period, this is the power of compound interest. Over a long time period, this makes a $500,000 difference with no changes in the numbers other than this number right here. So, again, I'm not going to go through the rest of this. Um, it's pretty self-explanatory. 
but I hope this helped going over this float analysis. It's generally a very simple calculation. It does take some time, does take some getting used to, um, but it's a very simple calculation that again, will show you and illustrate to you the power of float and if your company that you're evaluating um, is adding value, subtracting value, or about the same, whatever. And again, this is not an insurance company. This is a manufacturer, and this company still operates on other people's money. Pretty much every company I've ever evaluated operates to some degree on other people's money. Any, any liability that is not interest-bearing is considered float because you have this money now that you at some point will have to pay. You don't necessarily have to now, especially deferred tax liabilities. A great example is Seeds Candy um, in Berkshire Hathaway. Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger bought that for $25 million. Um, I think it was 1976. Since then, it's produced more than $1 billion in operating profits um, in that time. But they still have to list it as a deferred tax liability because of accounting rules. You list on the balance sheet what you paid for the asset, not what it is worth today. There is no revaluation. Oops. There is no revaluation for things like this. So do you think that C's candy is worth twenty more than twenty five million dollars now? Because they've produced more than one billion dollars since they were bought out? Uh yes, absolutely. One hundred percent. But according to accounting rules, that doesn't count. So that's where we kind of kind of account for this information is by doing this float analysis and considering um, a company's float. Again, I hope this helped. And I hope you enjoyed this series. I hope you learned a ton from this series. And next week, I'm hoping next week, I've been saying this for two weeks now, that um, I'm hoping we can release the surprise that we've been talking about um, for the last two weeks about this on float series, uh, but we're having some technical difficulties on our end getting things set up. Um, but again, hopefully next week this time you will see what that surprise is and how this relates to this on float series. Again, if you have any questions, let me know in the comments below and I will answer them for you. Um, but I hope this helped kind of solidify things because I'm a very visual person. So that's one reason why I do these kind of things is to help because I know a lot of people are visual learners. So again, I hope this helps and I will talk to you again soon. Thanks.